the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 469 for June 7th, 2015. Changes in the government's ability to collect phone records, T-Mobile lies a merger with Dish Network, and Huawei looks to make a splash in the U.S. market. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Well, first in the news this week, the Patriot Act expiring this week, and with it, the NSA's authority to collect Americans' phone records in bulk. Members of the Senate deliberated over the act on Sunday as some wanted to extend its powers and others wanted to just let it expire. Then on Wednesday, the Senate passed the USA Freedom Act, which limits how the NSA collects and stores American call records. Under the Freedom Act, telephone companies will now hold all call records for a period of 18 months. The government will need to go through a court to access those records. Under the Patriot Act, the NSA collected and stored call data in bulk on its own. The House of Representatives passed the bill in April. The USA Freedom Act has the support of the White House, and President Obama is expected to sign it into law. Now, as you uh, would imagine, this was came with a lot of scrutiny, a lot of debate, and obviously, you know, the Senate looking at this said, you know what, there there was a, a, a too much. Uh, going on for the NSA uh, or too much authority for the NSA and what they were doing and collecting all of this data. So it made sense for them to kind of scale it back a little bit and put in place something that today makes a lot more sense than when this thing was first put into place, which I believe was back in 2001. Yeah, it was a knee-jerk reaction from the uh, you know the, the the terror threats that we were under at the time, and and you know I I, I get it uh, kind of why it happened. Uh, obviously, the way it continued on. Um, it, it seemed a little overreaching, uh, you know, I'm sure they have discovered certain things, uh, you know, the proof of, of it being a very effective program obviously probably isn't there. I mean, they would never, of course, tell the, the public, uh, the proof, but if, um, it got to this point where they let it expire and they had to do this kind of this new law, then real, realistically, I'm sure proof did not exist even of it actually being that successful to warrant uh, doing this. Because otherwise, the you know, in the, the secret private meetings, they would have, you know, said, you need to keep continue this and keep this going. And, and that obviously didn't happen because of this change. So um, I guess this is kind of the uh, they're still collecting phone records, but it's it's not quite on the same level. It's not on the same level, and if you look at what this is going to mean moving forward, if you're somebody who is doing things that is going to potentially get yourself uh, under surveillance by the federal government, they're still going to be able to collect information about your call records, uh, but it's just going to be under different circumstances. It's not going to be as uh, overreaching as what we've had in the past, so just keep that in mind. CNN Money posted a story this week about the OK Google feature on Android handsets and in the Google application. Apparently, Google has been keeping every audio recording, and you can play them back to yourself. Google on Monday launched its new My Account feature, the company trying to give users a better idea and more control over what information it collects. It's already clear that Google remembers every text search that you perform, and what's clear now is that the company also stores a recording of your actual voice. On the website, Google says the recordings helped it better recognize your voice and also more accurately accomplish future tasks. If you're a Google account holder, you can find the collection of recordings in a section called Voice and Audio Activity. The stored recordings can go back for months, but it's not clear how long Google keeps these files. Users may delete the recordings, or you can choose to save them yourself. 
yourself. The type of thing is entirely new. It's not a new or exclusive to Google, that is. In 2013, we learned that Apple's voice dictation service Siri is keeping audio samples for two years. The company also says it reviews customer speech recordings to improve Siri according to your license agreement with them. Now, you might be surprised how well these speech recording services get to know you when you use Siri. Apple servers remember previous requests and then can combine contact names and even stored songs to help better recognize your pronunciation and satisfy those requests. Now, in Apple's case, customers have the option to delete the data on the company's servers by resetting Siri and the dictation feature. It's similar to Microsoft's personal assistant, Cortana. The company says Cortana learns about you by collecting information about how you use your phone, like the music you play, your scheduled clock alarms, and what you buy in the Microsoft Store online. The Alliance for Wireless Power and Power Matters Alliance on Monday agreed to merge operations. In uh, February 2014, the two organizations agreed to work together to create a single wireless charging standard called uh, Res. Results, something like that. The new organization claims to have more than 170 member companies such as AT&T, Broadcom, Intel, MediaTek, PowerMat, Qualcomm, Samsung, and Starbucks. The groups claim the merger will lead to better consumer access to wireless battery charging and power management products. The organization said they'll debut the new branded organization later this year. The standard competes with the Wireless Power Consortium's Qi standard. AT&T this week launching a new equipment install plan that requires a 30% down payment on a device at the time of purchase. After that down payment, subscribers to the plan can finance the remainder of the device over 28 months. However, you'll be able to uh, upgrade your device after just making 12 payments. Many handsets cost between $500 and $650, meaning that an average down payment of 30% will range between $150 and $200. None of AT&T's other next plans require a down payment, but they do require good credit, meaning the new option is likely being offered at those who may not have strong enough credit to qualify for a normal AT&T Next plan. Well, phone subsidies and two-year contracts may soon be a thing of the past. This is according to AT&T CEO Ralph De La Vega. He says, I think it's one of those options that's going to go away slowly, not because we insist on it, but because customers will choose it less often. AT&T has made changes recently to limit the ability of subsidies and its contracts. AT&T partners Best Buy and Apple no longer offer customers AT&T contracts. Instead, they push them over to the next plans, which break down the payment to a phone over time. AT&T says two thirds of new smartphone sales during the most recent quarter were via its next plans, which clearly indicate customers' preference when it comes to purchasing new hardware. Now, I think about what a contract means and what the AT&T next plan or one of these other subsidy uh, or payment plans, I guess it, it is. And, um, you know, kind of if you think about just general terms of it, they're not all that different, you know, both of which require you to end up paying off the phone. It's not like you're getting a better break on the phone, but you're not tied into a long-term contract that you have to break. You just have to pay off the phone. And so just the, the way that the customer thinks about it, I think is better. Well, and it's, and it's, you know, actually, you know, separating the, the device subsidy from the payment per month of the service. Because there's two separate things. You've got the hardware and you've got the service and they should be separate. And that's what's great about having, uh, you know, these new plans with all these uh, where you can see the price of the device up front. And if you're a person that can tolerate uh, a slightly older device up front, even a year old iPhone, for example, and then you can run that that year old iPhone for three years, you're going to be saving a lot of money uh, by staying, you know, behind the curve on a slightly old, older device and keeping it longer. And that's in and, and, and before 
before, though, you did not have that option. You'd be paying the subsidized price for the you know the top end most expensive phone. And if you're someone that hold, held on to your flip phone on Verizon for six years, you were paying a fortune extra. Yeah, and that's I guess the point is that on one of these plans you can upgrade your device and uh, when, or you can choose not to upgrade it and it just drops your your monthly amount down after you pay off the device. So I mean it makes more sense for someone who's um, you know someone who's conscious of that. Uh, but uh, e- either way, it's just one of those things. I think it's it, it makes sense that contracts eventually go away here. Uh, you'll still have to pay for the phone if you decide that you don't want to stay with their service. But uh, at that that point, then it is your phone too, so it doesn't really matter there. And and with the way things are going here, you'll be able to take that to another carrier and use it with them. Sprint on Wednesday announcing that its prepaid service will now offer rollover data on month-to-month service. Sprint is allowing customers to collect a total of 30 gigabytes of rollover data onto their account. Prepaid offers are of three different plans, all of which include unlimited talk and text. A $35 plan has a gig of monthly data. The $45 plan has three gigs, and the $55 plan has six gigs. In addition to rollover data, Sprint prepaid is offering customers who make nine on-time payments the option to upgrade to a smartphone Both the rollover data and smartphone lease are available only from the Best Buy store. SoftBank recently gave Sprint the go-ahead to begin its network improvement plan. The network's uh, nation's third largest network uh, has plans to densify its 4G LTE network to improve coverage and capacity. They said Sprint has developed an approved network plan in partnership with SoftBank that will allow for a cost-effective network to be built at an accelerated timeline. Now, Sprint's next-generation network plans to use small cells and macro cells together to fill in coverage gaps. Sprint has not said how many new cells it will install, but it did commit to offering voice over LTE and said Wi-Fi will also play a key role in its network plan. T-Mobile this week said it has expanded the availability of its Never Settle for Verizon promotion until June 27th. The program lets Verizon customers test T-Mobile services for a period of two weeks with no fear of commitment. The trial requires Verizon customers to port their number to T-Mobile, but they will hold on to their old Verizon phone. At the end of the two weeks, if they wish to stay with T-Mobile, the T-Mobile, uh, T-Mobile will then pay off your early termination fee and your remaining phone payments. At that point, the customer will have to turn in the Verizon phone and buy a new phone from T-Mobile. Mobile, as well as pair it with a simple choice plan. The promotion was originally set to expire on May 31st, so this extends it another four weeks. T-Mobile CTO Ray, uh, Neville Ray filed a letter with the FCC this week asking it to raise the amount of spectrum set aside for competitive carriers in the upcoming 600 megahertz reverse auction. The FCC has already agreed to reserve 30 megahertz of spectrum for carriers other than AT&T and Verizon. T-Mobile wants to reserve a set at 40 megahertz. AT&T and Verizon have vast amounts of 700 megahertz spectrum, which they use for their 4G networks. T-Mobile has some 700 megahertz spectrum, but not nearly as much as competitors. The 600 megahertz auction is the last opportunity for T-Mobile Sprint and others to win some of the low band spectrum. And finally, if sources are correct, Dish Network and T-Mobile US are considering a merger sometime later this year. The news comes from the Wall Street Journal, who said that discussions are at the formative stage and may yet fall through, but the two parties are reportedly in close agreement about the big picture terms. T-Mobile CEO John Ledger would be CEO of the new company, with Dish CEO Charlie Ergen as chairman. This is according to the Wall Street Journal sources, though no word came from either company on that report. Well, to me, uh, you know, as we've talked about before, these 
Chinese TV. Uh, in, you know, this is the way for the you know Dish and Direct TV, which are just typically satellite, to actually provide you know kind of land-based you know data communication. Which to me, in the future, uh, sometime in the future, you know LTE or its uh, uh, successors will be something where we'll be getting our TV from and our video streaming from. You know, as opposed to you know landlines with our cable and or DSL for for high-speed internet. So to me, that's just kind of the future of TV, which. Uh, this is, um, you know, this makes perfect sense to me. So it's interesting. I, I'm really enjoying something. I've got, um, since we moved, uh, I've got kind of a, a trial period of the Xfinity X1 service, and that comes um, with the the ability to stream everything on the iPad application, which, um, I, you know, I've been watching TV on the iPad for years with the Slingbox, and this is just kind of a, a new way to, to, to do it. Now it's pulling that information over the internet, that video stream, um, but uh, but you get access to all of your channels and in a, a more streamlined interface that's quicker, it's searchable it's it's just it's just altogether better than kind of controlling um your your cable box over the sling box now uh that that only really makes you know a difference if you're going through and changing the channel a lot or whatever but but it's very interesting my point is is that i i do think that video is going to continue as you know we've seen with the popularity of stuff like netflix is going to continue to be a big you know uh point of of usage on our mobile devices and so it's just going to make more sense to see partnerships like this moving forward absolutely and of course with um you know with the the satellite tv providers you know putting up satellites is exceptionally expensive and and these days with the the bandwidth requirements of high you know definition you know 1080p or 720p video it, it it's it's actually very difficult and very expensive to get that data uh up up and back down so uh, to me it seems like you know that, that their long-term strategy i'm sure is to uh, start you know, scaling back on the spending on the satellite and, and move more towards these ground-based were applicable. Of course, they'll probably always have some satellites up, you know, to cover rural areas. But to me, it just seems, uh, you know, this, this is the wave of the future. I'm thinking about how, how they do this, right? Because it's the, the communication between the tower itself and the phone uh, is, is something that if you, if they can set it up properly, this could actually be very interesting. So if you've got the, the satellite connection at the tower itself, so it's pulling in all of that data and basically making it available to the user, then is it then, then you're not streaming that all over over you know a landline connection. You're just doing it all over a satellite connection, which is you know it's picking up you know all that data that's coming in and then able to push it out to users from there just over the the spectrum that's available. Now, again, depending on how they decide to do this, this could this could be relatively efficient because they're not actually then tying up um, that connection oh, the, that goes the from backhaul the, the backhaul from the tower back to the switching station, right? So so that that's kind of an interesting concept to to think about that. I don't, I don't know at all how they could do it. They could do it any do I mean they could just do internet backhaul because obviously as we've seen, I mean, the, the, all they need to do is bump that up with some more fiber, and and it's not that expensive. I I, I think in comparison to the, the satellite. So yeah, you could do it because we do know that there's LTE broadcast uh, that actually mm-hmm. is a one-way, you know, receive only. It's not transmitting back and forth. So maybe they're planning on you know thinking about using a protocol like that or expanding a protocol like that and doing something like you're talking about, where the towers themselves may have uh, you know satellite receivers on them. Especially, I would imagine for far-flung cities, that would make more sense. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And you're not having, cause you think about how many towers are out there for each carrier and to, to think about up, you know, up in the back hall at all of those, especially, um, in, in certain areas, it just, it, it's crazy. Um, but anyway, very interesting stuff here. I, I think it's there, there's a lot of opportunity there and we'll see if this that thing actually comes together, uh, would be a big, uh, big win. I think for T-Mobile, if they did. And of course, the only thing I do not like, of course, uh, again, is kind of tying the, the data, uh, which, you know, mobile devices are kind of the future of the internet. I don't like tying them to TV because then there is that conflict of interest where then it'll be, um, you know, the, the, the aspect where Dish won't really want to be providing Netflix over the T-Mobile network. So that's what I, that's the only part I don't like. Yeah, that's, that's I suppose that's a really good point. And I, I don't disagree with that, but I also wonder if there's going to be any sort of, uh, you know, if there's going to be any sort of, you know, conflict anymore when, you know, when we're going to get to a point here where I think that everything is just going to be, um, is going to work uh, in a way that's going to be very different than what we think of it as today or even five, 10 years ago. And so, uh, and then maybe it's not that big of a deal then, but we'll, we'll see what happens there. Moving on here, device news, uh, Apple first up the first wave of home kit enabled devices for Apple products are starting to finally hit the market. HomeKit is Apple's platform for controlling aspects of the home from an iPhone, iPad, or iPod. Products recently revealed include light dimmers, thermostat controllers, and a smart home hub. More products are expected to arrive in July. HomeKit lets users, uh, third-party applications, interact with connected devices around the home. So for example, they would allow a user to ask Siri to turn on lights by voice command. Android uh, On the Android side, Huawei this week revealing the P8 Lite, a device with a similar design to the P8, but lowers some of the specs to drop the price. The P8 Lite features a 5-inch 720p screen powered by a 1.5 gigahertz octa-core Snapdragon 615 processor, 2 gigs of RAM, and 16 gigs of storage. The main camera has a 13-megapixel sensor and Huawei's snapshot feature for instantly capturing images with two presses of the volume down key. The front camera has a 5-megapixel sensor, and it can capture... 1080p HD and 720p HD video from the front and rear cameras. The P8 Lite runs Android 4.4.4 KitKat with Huawei's Emotion UI 3.0 on top of it. It is available unlocked via GetHuawei.com and Amazon.com. Huawei said the phone will eventually be offered by Fry's, B&H Video, uh, and Best Buy and Target. It will cost $250. Now, uh, along with the P8 Lite announcement, Huawei also announcing three, six, and uh, 12-month financing options through a partnership with a firm. If you prefer to break down the pricing uh, over time, the P8 Lite comes with a two-year warranty with US-based support available via phone, chat, and social media as well. Any and all repairs needed uh, during the warranty period will be covered at no charge as well as all shipping costs. Huawei wants to become a top-tier brand in the US with its affordable premium devices. It hopes to be the number three handset provider to US buyers within five years. On the software side, Skype on Wednesday updated its iPhone application and added several new features to the mobile communications tool. First, it now supports web link previews in text chats. So when users receive a web link, Skype will generate a preview image of the website in question so users can see where the link will take them. It's kind of nice. Skype for iPhone now also supports the Apple Watch. So Skype users will be able to dictate message responses, initiate conversations with favorites, select from prepaid responses, and manage incoming calls. Though the 
app does not support voice calls on the watch directly. It will open Skype on the phone if a user chooses to answer an inbound call. Skype 5.13 for iPhone is free to download from the iTunes App Store. This may get me to reinstall Skype, though I'm not really sure why. I don't use Skype except to talk to you, Joey, but it is kind of nice to, to see that I, if I did get a message, it would just come in through the uh, the the watch you you're shaking your head you're saying no it's doesn't no I I yeah Mickey that you're the only person I've skyped with uh, no I take that back I've skyped with one other person in the past like six seven years uh, or so so yeah no it's definitely not going to be something installed on my device it's all FaceTime now isn't it I was FaceTiming with family just a couple hours ago it's fantastic yeah FaceTime and iMessage uh, you know obviously if you have somebody with a with a, you know a different de- different style device Skype usually is a lot easier because it's uh you know kind of um, you know, multi-device, you don't have to have another Apple product to do, you know, with uh, the, the, the video call. Now, let me ask you this. Would you, would you prefer to use Skype or would you use something like Google Chat? Because I use Google Chat quite a bit with family. Uh, I would probably end up using Google Chat if they're using an Android device, which is, yeah. you know, if they're not using an iPhone, then they're most likely using um, an Android device. But I suppose as Windows Phone becomes more popular, then Skype will then have to be, you know, yeah. Anyway, we'll see what happens with that. But I, I, I'm just, yeah. Anyway, it's just an interesting thing. I, I just, as I was thinking that through, yeah, I only talk to you. So, and you're only going to call me one time a week. So what do I need it on my phone for? Anyway, Google on Monday publishing a new website uh, that people can use to manage personal information. Uh, with this My Account site, which we talked about earlier, um, has a number of great things that come with it here. And I wanted to expound upon these a little bit. So not only can you check to find, to, to see, you know, the voice activity that was recorded on there, but you can also check into the privacy of your account even more. And they've got some step-by-step guides on there as well. So you can now look into the information that's accessed by Search, Maps, YouTube, and all other Google products. You can easily then turn on and off settings for web sharing and app activity, as well as taking a look at your location history, which is used by Google Now and also by Maps. People uh, can also use the ads settings tool to manage the advertisements that you see from Google. Finally, you can more easily control which applications and sites are connected to your Google account. That site is available at myaccount.google.com. Yeah, and I highly recommend uh, everybody go take a look at this and and kind of, you know, uh, you know, just double check these settings, especially connected apps, because there may be a bunch of abandoned ones that you uh, don't need anymore. Or there's things maybe that could be suspicious. I mean, usually Google's pretty good at reporting suspicious things, but it's it's worth looking into. And, and also for the search history, you know, I don't actually keep that on because it's really nothing that Google really needs to keep a hold of. Uh, you know, I always see, uh, you know, watching crime shows. I mean, they what the, the very first thing they look into is your Google search history. And if you're signed in and it's uh, keeping track of these things, I don't know. I, I always just, I, I, I never do anything uh, illegal, but I always wonder what, what, what would they glean from that? What, uh, you know, what could they possibly put together that may not even be actually the case, but uh, it, it just gives me the little, little bit of a creeps. It's, you know, car parts and electronics components and all that stuff. It's, it's crazy. I mean, yeah, you're right. They could, they could find out a lot about you just from your Google search. I get it. Uh, you know, it, it's it, interestingly, I, Joe, you're one of like three people on the planet who doesn't use Gmail anymore. Um, but <laughs> uh, I, if you have used it this week, it actually, you get a pop-up uh, that asked you to, to 
I do something with the myaccount.google.com thing. And so most people who are using Gmail probably saw that over the, the course of the week and uh, probably tinkered around a little bit like I did. Didn't do a lot with it because uh, I regularly kind of keep up to date with all that stuff. But uh, but yeah, if, if you hadn't, you can go in there and you can see a lot of information. It's nice to see that transparency for sure. Also from Google this week, improving their Google Maps by expanding the number of regions in which they offer local transit directions. Google added real-time transit info from 25 new partners across six new areas, including the UK, Netherlands, Budapest, Chicago, San Francisco, and Seattle. Using the service in these cities, we'll see enriched transit times for trains, buses, and subways. It can alert riders to canceled or changed routes and lets riders know when the next bus or train is set to arrive. Facebook on Thursday announcing Facebook Lite, a version of the social network that uses less data and will work on slow network connections. The Facebook Lite application is just one megabyte to install, and Facebook claims it will load quickly and offer core features such as the news feed, status updates, photos, and notifications. Facebook is making Facebook Lite available in Asia first, with Latin America, Africa, and Europe to follow. They didn't say if it will come to North America ever. Uh, of course, it is being made specifically for Android devices. Microsoft on Monday announcing that Windows 10 will be available for a free download to PCs and tablets starting on July 29th. Most hardware running Windows 7, 8, and 8.1 should be able to upgrade to the new operating system, though Microsoft did not provide an update concerning the availability of Windows 10 Mobile. Windows 10 Mobile is expected to arrive in the fall months. And Microsoft on Wednesday announcing that it has acquired Six Wonder Kinder. This is the company behind the Wonder List task management application. Microsoft said that it will add the applications to its mobile productivity tools for smartphones and will not change Wonderlist's free pricing, nor will it break the app's functionality. Wonderlist will continue to be compatible with a myriad of third-party applications. Microsoft said it will uh, have more to say about its plans for Wonderlist later this year. One question this week, it comes from Patrick, and he says, so I have a question and just wondering about CarPlay and Android Auto. So both seem to be uh, a rare feature considering it was just, it was announced a while back, but why doesn't the car maker or radio manufacturer just take a simpler approach? Just grab the phone's screen and display it on the head unit. Basically everything on your phone in landscape mode on a bigger display and have a car mode application. That display will then have everything with bigger buttons. That way you don't have to be dependent on Google or Apple or whoever on how they want their car stuff to work. Patrick, well, you know, it is a, an interesting thing to contemplate, right? And I, and I know, at least I think I know the answer to this, and it's really just about safety. You know, they're, they're creating something that is going to remove as much distraction as possible. Uh, that also removes a lot of functionality, but that's for good reason. They don't want you reading your text messages. They don't want you reading your email. Uh, they don't really want you doing much of anything except for uh, making and receiving phone calls and, uh, you know, flipping through phone, uh, excuse me, music tracks. And, and that's about the extent of it. Yeah, basically, they're just kind of trying to create an interface that's just like your, you know, some of the the car interfaces with screens where they're very basic, very easy to use. No videos. Also, that's another thing that's usually illegal here in the U.S. as a video in motion. Uh, and that's exactly why. Yeah, it's just uh, that's really it. The you know, safety. So you say it's illegal. So I would imagine that there's regulation that uh, each of the head unit manufacturers have to agree to when they're creating this stuff. And so that's probably what uh, Android, uh, th- what both of these applications are having to deal with. Exactly. Yeah, there are a lot of regulations and how these things uh, have to be made. So that I'm sure that's a big part of it as well. 
It is interesting to think about, though, right? I mean, people are installing iPads and in the, their dashboards all over the place just because it is a nice thing to do. Now, uh, I don't know that I, well, I, don't, I, I may, may find that kind of interesting, you know, in certain regards, but uh, you've got to then deal with, you know, charging the thing. And I guess it charges when your car is running. But if you don't drive it very often, you don't drive it very far, you may have to deal with some other stuff there. But uh, yeah, kind of an interesting thing to do, I guess, if you really want to do a bunch of stuff on there, then of course, you got to have an LT connection or tether it to your phone every time you get in your car or have a car that's got Wi-Fi built into it. And really, it's just, it's a lot of hassle. But at the same time, it's still kind of neat. Lots of fun stuff in the dashboard. The uh, the true mobile device getting all sorts of connectivity these days. If you have any questions or comments for us, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call, 650-999-0524, or send us an email to questions at junkie.com. We'd love to hear from you and anything you have to say. Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.